The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. Well, we do uh, have Jerry DePoto with us, as uh, we generally do on Thursdays. Thanks, everybody, for uh, just allowing for uh, some schedule changes today with uh, what was going on in Kansas City and the early baseball game, et cetera. But it's nice to be joined by Jerry DePoto right now. And, Jerry, I don't know, all of a sudden this team is hot on Wednesdays, which has been fantastic. Yeah, and it, as I said to Mora when I was checking in, I apologize for the uh, the audio in the background, but I can't seem to get away from it over here at the park. Where <laughs> it's a, Weird things happen in Kansas City. <laughs> well, that's for sure, man. What These last three games have just been bizarre. Like, what is it about that park, the weather, the team? Like, what is it that makes for such strange games there? You know, I, I, I actually was, was my, I have family here. You know, my dad, my brother were sitting with me last night. And I, I can remember so many unusual games here dating back to even when I was playing. So it's. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe the most bizarre game I can recall in, in recent vintage was just last September when we were here. And if you remember, like the 10 run innings that were, you know, going back and forth between each team while we were in the midst of a pennant race in September. And just, uh, you know, weird and wonky things happen here. Maybe we just don't match up as, as well as we'd like to <laughs> against the Royals. Hey, uh, Jerry, take me back to your playing days when you were a player and it was game 120 of a season. <laughs> Where is your mind and body at here in mid-August, 120 games in? Your body's kind of done, you know, and, and this is <laughs> it's true. And, and, you know, you're, you're in month five of a six-month season. You played for, you know, six, seven weeks in spring training and you prepared before that. And, you know, the innings are starting to get on you. For the relievers, it's you know, it's getting up and down in the bullpen. It's the it's the it's the appearances really more than the innings that start to weigh on you about this time of year. And you know, maybe the the it's that three week feeling where you just feel like you're underwater. Your legs are heavy. Your arms feel tired. And then somewhere along the way, you know, the weather flips for you in September, and the air gets a little bit cooler, and you get that one last wind, and 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 you feel fresh again. I don't know why it is, but the heat of the summer, you know, it's, I guess it's why they started calling it the dog days whenever they did. It, it does beat you down, and August is a really tough month for, for big league players. And, and I, I guess the, the benefit was always that in September you could expand the rosters, but now that's even a little bit more limited. So uh, they're, they're fighting through it right now for sure. Well, you'll have to go explain that to Julio and Ty France and some of these guys who all of a sudden are putting together some of the best you know, best at bats and the, the best run they've had all year. How different is this team when Ty France and Suarez and Julio are all hitting like this? Yeah, this is the team that we thought we had from the beginning, you know, and, and they are, they're on it right now. You know, Julio hadn't been better than this all year. And he's really been, you know, quite good since the start of July and, and Ty since the roughly since the trade deadline, he's been going as good as you can go here as we've gone through the, the first three games of this series. I think so many guys have taken so many good at bats and, and, you know, we've had to because the, the Royals have been really tough on the other side and they're locked in. So it's, uh, it, it's as, as fun as we've been offensively in a long time. And, and you know, we've talked about this in, in recent weeks. This isn't a new thing. This is something that's been going on for a couple of months now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've, but we got so conditioned to the struggles in the early part of the season that, that if we struggle for a day, we feel like, oh, we're back in the vortex. But <laughs> the truth is 
we've been a pretty interesting offensive team for a little bit now. That's primacy bias, Brock. I remember I was writing about that yes. a week or so ago. Yes. Primacy bias is what you see first ends up biasing what you end up seeing later, specifically on Julio, though, because what's been interesting to me is is seeing him hit the way he has, contribute the way he has, and while he's hit home runs, it has not been a barrage of home runs that has shown his dominance. He's kind of been doing a little of everything, it seems like. Oh, it's a, he's an exciting player. And, I, and we've talked about this before, you know, from the base running and defense, which is the foundation of it all. That has been there from day one and never went away. And I, I, I think, and Scott, I don't feel like I'm betraying a confidence. Scott actually said to him last night after the game, you know, the, the ground ball that he hit through the right side, to, which I believe was his fourth hit of the night, or yep. to, and picked up that run, was, Scott said, that's my favorite at bat you've had all year. Just doing that little thing, and it makes such a huge difference. And and when Julio is at the center of it, and he's driving it. You know, it it does make a huge difference. And and you know, add that to the fact that that at some point here, uh, hopefully it, by the time we get through Houston or or to Chicago, we have JP back and we're back at full strength with guys in good streaks and Julio doing really all the things that his tools allow him to do and impacting the game in that way. It just it, it, it makes those last six weeks of the season look like a lot of fun. Two things along those lines, Jerry. Isn't that and shouldn't that be the advantage of youth? That as you talked about these dog days, you know, in a game 120, when you're 22 years old and you've got a childlike joy to play this game and you set the table for everybody else, is this where youth should come to life a little bit on this roster too? Yeah, young legs help. <laughs> I, I bet I didn't feel quite as bad when I was 24 as I did when I was 33. But, you know, it does. It, 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 at the end of the day, I, I do think being in a, a, a playoff race is energizing. And, you know, it, it does help even if you don't have the young, fresh legs. And, you know, amazingly for Julio, and I'll, I'll go back and I'll, I'll reference a player that I, I had a number of years ago who, when asked if he was tired because he was playing every day, he said, I'm 25 years old. I want to play every day. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's the mentality of these guys. They're, they're disappointed when they're not in the lineup. They want to find a way to make it work every day. But, you know, here, especially when we get to – we've been blessed here with excellent weather in Kansas City. And, and I, when we get to Chicago, I understand it's going to be a little warmer than this. So, you know, that, that's when you might feel the, the heaviness back on you again, and those young legs will come in handy. Would you rather see Julio hit 40 home runs or 55 doubles? Uh, Can I take both of those things? (laughs) Yeah, I guess my my answer to the question would be when he hit the 55 doubles, who was on base? (laughs) Because in the end, it's about scoring the runs. And, you know, 40 homers, we know we scored at least 40 runs. And and uh, what's fascinating is he has the, the ability to do both of those things and steal 50 bags and play goal club defense and, it just kind of speaks to his talent. Hey, one of the things we've been debating over the course of the last week or so is is what the strategy is and whether it's changed a little bit over the years with a man on third and uh, one out late in the game and, and the idea of trying to set up a double play with the intentional walk. A few different times you guys have gone away from that. Is that an organizational philosophy? Is it built on numbers? What should we know about that? You know, I, I do think that uh, there are 
there are times and places where traditional baseball philosophy is still the, the appropriate way to go. Now, last night, frankly, we, we did a couple of things. We made mistakes that we don't ordinarily make you know, and that goes against a baseball tradition and, or, or a philosophy. I think Scott, for the most part, is not prone to, to putting a runner on base, especially in those extra inning situations, if that runner represents uh, something significant. Or, you know, in cases like this lineup, if, if that puts you in position where Bobby Witt Jr. is, is you know, in the, in the hole, so to speak, that's, you don't really want to be there. <laughs> so you're, you're trying to find ways to manage your way through the innings and and I think the, the ghost runner at second base has really forced managers around the league to be creative in how they implement that, that baseball philosophy. And, mm. you know, it's sometimes tradition is the way to go. Sometimes taking a crack at it because you know you're a little thin in the bullpen and you got to go win the game now is, is the way to go. And, and I, I do think that the fact that we've been a little beaten down, a number of extra inning games, a lot of close games over the last week, does affect decision-making because you're running a little thin in the pants. What have your eyes seen, speaking of baseball tradition, and Jerry DeBoto here with us, baseball tradition, when I was growing up and watching it, was, well, you had closers, right? You had Goose Gossage and the great closers of the game, and those final three outs are all a little different, and, you know, we've seen that massaged a little bit through the years as well. Um, obviously, Mooney and Brass have gotten some incredible opportunities here in these late innings to close it out in Paul's absence. What have your eyes seen with them handling that role? Uh, you know, in some way, this is all new to Matt. This is a, an opportunity, a growth opportunity. And I, I do think that you'll get growth pains along the way, and that's just part of the, the exercise. Mooney's done this a little bit before. And, you know, with the exception of, I would say, this year, you know, while Mooney was on the IL and, and we were mostly, if not exclusively, going to Paul in the ninth inning, for the majority of the time since Edwin Diaz left after the 2018 season, we have been pretty, you know, timeshare. Whether it's 60% Paul, 20% second rider, you know, 10% Moody, whatever the the scenarios, we always pick the pockets to throw, you know, the, the pitchers in. And I, I think in in Mooney's current situation, he's getting more of those ninth inning opportunities, kind of flip flopping with Matt Brash, depending on who's prepared, and. Now, it's it's tough to judge in a moment because it is August because guys are tired and mm-hmm. you know Mooney's had a rough week and it's probably the first rough week he's truly had since he's been a Mariner. So you know being too judgy in the in the early going, I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that he's pitching the ninth inning instead of the seventh through the eighth. He's pitching against tough pockets while he's trying to figure out where his stuff's at. And you know the night before last when we put him in the game. We put him in a tough situation and asking him to get five outs. And, and this is, again, a beaten down bullpen that has really pitched a lot of high leverage situations dating back to last Friday. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a, a tough stretch for him. And it was nice to have The Rock give us seven innings last night just to give the guys down there a little bit of a break. I'm going to ask you about him in a moment. But uh, just last thing on Munoz, you mentioned trying to find his stuff. And just looking at the radar guns we see on TV, it looks like the velo's down a couple of ticks. Is is he struggling a little bit with velo and his slider? Where What are you seeing with his stuff right now? You know, I say he has become a little more fastball-centric here in the last couple of weeks. And and I don't know if that's necessarily, you know, a design, but the, the downtick in velo, it over the weekend against Baltimore, he was throwing, you know, 98, 100 miles an hour. And, but he did pitch 
multiple consecutive days. And then again here, it's multiple consecutive outings. And now it's a five-out outing. And, and bouncing back after that, we've never really asked Andres to do that. You know, it, it's the, the outside of the, the, we'll call it the, the two weeks leading into the, the postseason last year and then during the postseason. And, you know, there's a, a place and a time for that. But, you know, getting into that mode in the middle of August is tough. But when you're playing multiple extra inning games, I think we played four extra inning games in the space of a week. That does put your high leverage bullpen in a position to, to have to go out there tired. And Mooney's out there tired right now. And hope we were able to stay away from him last night. Hopefully we're able to do it again today and, and make sure that he's fresh while we go into Houston. Well, and so you mentioned Castillo and what he gave you guys last night, going seven innings. He probably was not his best start in a lot of ways, didn't have a lot of strikeouts, gave up a lot of hard contact. I had a little conspiracy theory here on the show earlier this morning, and maybe you can prove it for me. Was that by design? Is he going out there and maybe pitching to contact a little bit more and trying to not necessarily strike everybody out in order to get deeper into that game? I think he definitely did that. And the the first pitch of the game was, I think, 91.9 miles an hour. <laughs> and I, I said, well, you know, the Rock is in give him innings mode. And at, uh, I will say this, and this is out of respect to the Royals, they do a phenomenal job of fouling off pitches, putting pitches in play. They're not a high strikeout team in an era of high strikeout teams. And they swing a ton. They swing at strikes, they swing at balls, and they put them in play. And part of the reason why we've been beaten down in the bullpen is that, you know, we were short on the, on the start Monday with Logan. We were short on the start Tuesday with Emerson. And, and we just needed somebody to eat into the, the, the game a little bit. And, and that's what we saw with the rock. He went out there and he did what veteran aces do. He, you know, he went out and he ate up seven innings on a day where he didn't have his best stuff, but he had the, he had a mentality when he went out there that I am getting the team to the back of this game. And, mm-hmm. and he did it. How unselfish is that? How important is it for the other guys in the clubhouse to see it? I think it's huge. And it's a, we've seen other guys do it, but you know, Luis has done it whenever we've needed him to do it since the day he walked through the door. And, and I've said this before about the rock, you know, he, he'll go out there and he'll throw the, the low hit, high strikeout dominant game sitting in the mid upper nineties. And, and he looks like Cy Young, and, and he walks off the field with a smile, and he goes out there last night and you know fights his way through a lot of base runners and hits and, and traffic on the bases, and he walks off with a smile. He's, you know, he, he is such a – he has that goldfish mentality, and he just moves on to the next, and he knows what the team needs, and, and he just gives you that thing. And it's, it, it, he is the epitome of an unselfish pitcher, and I think the, the fact that he's by far our most experienced pitcher – gives the other guys something to look to. Well, the guy going uh, this afternoon in just a couple hours has been absolutely filthy. And if Luis is the rock and, and Logan's got an alter ego named Walter, we got to figure something out for Kirby because uh, the guy has just been – I mean, he hit, Jerry, at least on the television copy the other day, 100 miles an hour against Baltimore on that Saturday night. I mean, he's sitting upper 90s. He took the ball and shoved it for nine innings against those guys in a shutout. Uh, how, how is George continuing to take these steps and emerge? I, I just feel like George can do just about anything he wants to do with the ball. And, and it's, it's always been this way. And, you know, from the time his stuff really started to mature, and I'm going to date back, this is, you know, this is probably at the alt site in 2020 when we really saw George go from, you know, 
excellent stuff, excellent command to elite stuff, elite command. And it's, uh, you know, that combination of ingredients with his mind to pitch and the competitiveness that, and I, and I don't want to downsell anybody else on our staff because it's a competitive group, but, you know, George has a different way about him on a game did day. He, and Yeah, Jerry, uh, did, he have that at, did, he, did he have that at Elon? I mean, that's the thing that struck me. I got to see him in a home game, and he, every inning, is steaming. Like, this is George Kirby from Elon, right? That was supposedly a total command, low 90s guy. You know, as you said, great stuff, first-round pick. But he has turned into just a fire breather. Like, when you see him in person, he is as intense fire breather as anybody as you got on your roster. Was, it, was that always in him? I can't tell you about his full time at Elon. I can tell you in his draft year, we saw a very composed, relaxed, competitive guy who you you don't know because Elon by vert, it's probably how he got George is because he was matriculating at Elon. If he was, you know, if he was at the university of Florida, it probably goes in the first five picks in the draft, (laughs) truth be told. And, and, you know, we did see a competitor, but we've been blown away by, by just how competitive he is. And it's not just when he's pitching every fifth or sixth day. It's on the golf course. It's in the side games. It's, a, it's his skills, you know, really transcend just the baseball. It's, he is good at whatever he tries, and he's incredibly competitive at whatever that thing is. <laughs> and he, he holds himself to a different standard than, than a lot of people do. And I, I think that makes him great. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been interesting watching this team, just seeing some guys, you know, Brock mentioned the idea of sort of clearing the way and seeing some folks step up into those spots. I didn't realize Caballero had as many steals as he did until I looked up and saw the numbers the other day. Seeing Marlowe over the course of the last few weeks, uh, I think has been just really, really fun. How about some of the guys that we're waiting to see if they can make it back? Uh, you mentioned JP. Where, where do you think JP is at in terms of his availability for the weekend? You know, probably we're, we're likely, if he continues to improve the way he has, we're likely to see him go out. Because it's been long enough, we're going to have him go out and play at least one rehab game uh, somewhere in the Northwest. It's probably going to be at Everett sometime, you know, Friday, Saturday, or this weekend with the hope that he can join us either at the end of the, the trip through Houston or when we get to Chicago. But, you know, again, that is contingent on his continued improvement. Uh, it's He, my the feedback I'm getting is that he feels pretty good right now. He's, he's executing baseball activity and we are going to get him out there for at least a, a one game rehab look where he can get some ABs versus live pitching. And how about Jared? I'm sorry. How about Kelnick? Oh yeah. He was let out of his boot yesterday actually. So he's going to be slowly get back into baseball activity. He's been throwing throughout uh, with a boot on but he's now being released to go do a little bit more aggressive baseball activity. And, you know, the, the rehab process we knew was going to take us into September. That hasn't changed. But you know, what, what day in September, I don't know. But it is, you know, we are optimistic that he is going to contribute before the year's done. Why can I imagine him getting out of that boot like a caged animal at the zoo? Like, how <laughs> ready he ran out of the doctor's office with <laughs> yes. his arms over his head. Uh, you know, you want to talk about competitive. <laughs> uh, the yes. word released from his boot almost sounded like he was released from handcuffs. Like, all right, yes. let the guy out of his chains, and off he goes. He's going to start storming around. Uh, Cal Raleigh's another guy I wanted to focus on for a few minutes. I feel like we've gone through quite a few of the folks on the team today, but – could we see a Cal Raleigh 30 home run season at some point? We might see it this year. You know, it's uh, Cal. It's, it, the, it's 
he has a way of, of doing the, the thing that you need him to do. You know, the big homer, the big moment seems to find Cal. And the one thing that you, you let slip your mind, I, I, my dad said it to me watching the game last night. He said, I saw something today that said Cal has the most home runs among any catcher in baseball since last year. I said, I, I don't know if anybody really gives him that credit. And he's excellent behind the plate. And he manages the run game. And he, there's so many pluses with Cal. And I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that hits 280, 300. That's just not his skill set. But he takes his walks. He hits his homers. He finds big times to come up with big hits. And at the end of the day, if you've got a catcher that has the ability to drop 30 homers on you, be an above-average league OPS guy who, by virtue of the park we play in, probably going to sit in the 120 range in, in OPS+. plus. That's a real advantage when you couple it with real defense. And, and he's still so young. There's so much better that he can get. Uh, I'll, last thing for me, Jerry, just circling back to my first question of game 120 as a player, I'm going to imagine it's pretty cool as game 120 is team president that you get to watch some baseball with your dad and brother. I mean, how, how cool, just as you, you referenced it a couple times, how cool is that for you right now? It's really cool. Uh, and, I, you know, it's one of my favorite parts about coming to Kansas City. It, as weird as the games get, I do get to see my family. And, you know, my, my brother lives here in Kansas City. My, my parents live in Omaha. And the chance to, to have them kind of come and visit, sitting between, you know, dad and brother yesterday. And I think we were in the, in the seventh inning of the game. And, you know, the Rock's out there trying to finish it through. And, and we've got a little bit of traffic on the bases. And my brother turns around to me and says, hey, how are the kids? And I said, we're at the same game, but we're not watching it the same way. <laughs> I was going to say, do they give you grief? I mean, like, are they sitting there watching and talking trash about the team to you? Are they totally supportive? What is that relationship like? No, my, my, my dad is into it. He and my mom watch every game on TV. He knows the players. He has mm. his favorites. He has opinions on what he watches, oh, just good. like any fan does. And, <laughs> uh, my brother doesn't really pay attention that much. He's, you know, he watches when we're in town and, generally it lives through the, the the wins and the losses without really knowing the underlying detail hmm. that's awesome that's man awesome. what a what a what a cool experience well jerry we appreciate it uh these are a feisty little royals team so it would be nice to uh see a nice clean easy one today maybe uh find, <laughs> maybe we can find a way to get out uh uh perez because i i don't i don't know where you're supposed to throw the ball to get him out it seems like he can hit anything in either batter's box, over the plate, whatever. So maybe you guys got a plan for that. I'll tell you. And we talked about Salvi. We've talked right now. Michael Matthews is just locked in. You can't be hotter than Bobby Witt Jr. has been for the last you know month or so. They have good players, and right now they're they're playing at the very top of their ability. And Oh, we got to find a way, and and there's not a better guy to have on the mound when you want to find a way than Kirby. Yeah, I'm sorry to say, I kind of like this Royals team. I was talking yesterday about how much I hate them, and I kind of do, but I also kind of like them. Like they're kind of, I just like that they're feisty. They are. They fight. They play hard. They run hard. They're athletic, and you know, right now their pitching is just in back of where their position player group is developmentally, and now they're but. They're they're just at the beginning of, of what I think is is going to be a, a long rebuild to get them back where you know they want to be and they're going to have to build like they always have through yep. scouting and development and they do that traditionally they do that as well as anybody. Pretty cool, Jerry. Thank you very much. Enjoy Thanks, the Jerry. time with your family. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. All right, there you go. There's Jerry Depoto, uh, who's nice enough to join us every week. A little bit late today with just sort of where the timing is at in Kansas City. Yeah, I don't know. I, I watched this or, or uh, uh, Royals team, 
And I am reminded a little bit of the Orioles a couple of years ago as they were starting to build that and going, all right, they don't have all the pieces yet and they're not quite yet. But, hey, this Mm -hmm. Mountcastle kid can play. And, hey, who's Mm -hmm. this Cedric Mullins guy? And, oh, what's going on with the Santander? And now all of a sudden you watch Kansas City. I don't know whether they're going to get to that same point. Maybe we're just catching them on a hot week. And they clearly don't have any pitching. I'm kind of intrigued by the way they play the game and the way they hit. Yeah, I was just looking at some numbers the other day. I think Pipeline, one of the Baseball America came out with their new rankings of the farm systems after the trade deadline. And that Baltimore team you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, they're number one in, in record and they're number one in farm system. Like yeah. they didn't give away any of their pieces. These Royals behind you. And by the way, you started the year like 28, 29 and you're up to 18 as far as, you know, this one site and this one opinion, but you're doing it on the field. You've got a bit of a system. Those Royals, not so much behind the scenes. No. Certainly not with pitching. No, they don't have all that. I hope you continue to hammer no. today. And the good news is, oh, yeah. uh, Salvi's not in the lineup today. So, uh, they won't need to get oh, him good. out. He's just going to take a little rest and maybe they won't even let him pinch hit. Just let Salvi just sit right there on the bench in the dugout. Don't show up under any circumstances, and they can concentrate on getting some other folks out instead. All right. We'll come right back. Uh, A couple things I want to react to there from Jerry before we do some ranking in 20 minutes. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. Airline Studio, back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Now, real quick, we'll give you a roster move, and this is not something we've seen a lot of this year, Brock. How many times have we seen a pitcher recalled from Arkansas? Happens all the time. But from AAA Tacoma? Mm -hmm. Never. But that's what they did today. Edward Bizzardo was called up in uh, exchange for Ryder Ryan, who goes back down to AAA Tacoma. So, uh, huh? What did you say? Edward, Edward what? Bazardo. B-A-Z-A-R-D-O. Oh, okay. I thought you said bit like bizarre. Bizarre. No, Edward I, I just Bazardo to... <laughs> was recalled from oh, okay, Triple gotcha, A Tacoma. Gotcha. Ryder Ryan okay. optioned back to Triple A Tacoma and uh, apparently he's got a pretty good I just good had not ball. heard of Bizarro. Yes, I just had not heard of Mr. Bizarro. Well, now, now you know <laughs> about him. He'll be, uh, he'll be up to help that pen yeah. starting today. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Um, not Baroa, huh? No, no, still no Baroa. Still not Baroa. Yeah, no, nope, still, still not, not Baroa. No, no sign of Prelander. They didn't, most not like what, what did they hear saw from when the press? he was up here. Well, a couple of things. What did you hear from the press? I, I think the thing I take away most, and maybe, maybe you thought the same thing as he was talking about it, is that the conversation we have about the ninth inning is very different from the one they have. And that's not to say that anyone out there is wrong. Believe me, I don't don't hear me say this as, you know, you're stupid because you think the Mariners have a ninth inning problem. Over the course of the last week, the Mariners have a ninth inning problem. No other way to look at it. Mm-hmm. But the way Jerry sees it is different. The way they see it on a baseball team might have less to do with it's the ninth inning and more to do with we needed five outs from Munoz here, and we needed to do something from someone there, and this person's reacting to some drop in velo, and this person's now throwing more often than they've thrown in the past. And like, this guy came out in the fifth inning, in yep. the fifth inning, and that's why this guy was in this game. They look at it very differently from the way we do. We focus on that moment in a very easy, um, simple, hey, this happened. They traded away Seawald. They don't have their ninth inning guy, and now they're struggling in the ninth. And that's not wrong, mm-hmm. but it maybe mm. doesn't tell the whole story. And I think that's what's interesting about hearing Jerry's perspective on it. Yeah, as you add the full context back to 18 and in this build up, 
right? You do see those percentages. It's not a hundred percent since Edwin Diaz, anybody. And you know, his numbers were what about 60% Seawall, 20% Steckenrider when he was doing it. Mooney's got 10 and now it's incumbent upon these guys to make it happen. You get to own some of those percentages, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you, if you come in and, and yeah, here's the plan. It is going to be by committee. And ideally we would like to again, back to, a little football comparison of Mafe and, yep. and, and all you guys ideal and reps, how many percentage, yeah, ideal snap point. count, what's the ideal percentage? And he also and brings up they're, something they're, that I had kind of forgotten about, which is, hey, Munoz was on the shelf for a while this year, and that maybe if he hadn't yep. been, more of those save opportunities would have gone to him in the ninth inning instead of Seawald, that they didn't just view it as we're trading our closer. They viewed it as we're trading mm-hmm. one of our leverage arms. And uh, here's Jerry on Munoz. You know, Mooney's had a rough week, and it's probably the first rough week he's truly had since he's been a Mariner. So, you know, being too judgy in the in the early going, I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that he's pitching the ninth inning instead of the seventh through the eighth. He's pitching against tough pockets while he's trying to figure out where his stuff's at. And, you know, the night before last when we put him in the game, we put him in a tough situation and asking him to get five outs. And, and this is, again, a beaten down bullpen that has really pitched a lot of high leverage situations dating back to last Friday. Does that, yeah, I does remember anyone hear that yeah. and think no, it, agree, or is it just as simple as, sorry guys, it's the ninth inning you traded Seawald? Well, I think, I think it is showing that, you know, these are human beings and not robots, just that you put in those positions and the wear and tear of a season and the wear and tear of, you know, these pressurized situations mm-hmm. and a guy that, yeah, has battled a little bit of health that came into spring a little slowed, was slowed in season with some of the shoulder inflammation, has not done this. You know, I remember listening to John Smoltz. And by the way, I, we're going to try to get him on next week. I saw him a few weeks ago. He said, anytime, man, just, just let me know. Right. And I remember listening to him in a broadcast saying, what was harder? What do you think was harder, throwing 270 innings one year as a starter, something absurd like that, 250, 260, whatever, or when I became a reliever and it was like 70 appearances? He's like, it's not even close. Hmm. It was the number of appearances in that bullpen. So interesting. Because it's not, yeah, it's not just those times, right, where you come on the field for an inning, you're up, you're down, as Jerry said, you're warming up, you're not coming in. But just, he said, what wasn't even close. Infinitely harder to be a reliever than it was to throw that workhorse 260 some innings as a starter. Crazy. And you, you start to get a feel 120 games into a season. This becomes uh, a little more real for these guys. There is a part of me, Salk, and I may be wrong on this, but there is a part of me, and I was listening to Nick Saban say this yesterday about his QB battle, and it's what every coach says in training camp. You force me. You force the decision. I'm not making the decision. You force the decision for us because you play so good. We can't keep you off the field. And that's very much a Pete Carrollism too. And I'd love to see one of these guys this month say, Hey man, I'm forcing you to give me that ball in the ninth inning. You know, give, give me, let me run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Mooney or Brash. It doesn't mean it doesn't, you know, changes their philosophy, but it's just like, Hey, I'm going to totally own this moment and own this situation, and I'm going to force you to go to me in many of these big moments. Well, per- personally, I was just happy to hear Jerry say that uh, they that he thought Luis Castillo did exactly what you and I both thought he did. I thought that was nice, little validation because I just that was my gut after watching yep. him last night. And hey, why does he only have four strikeouts? And I did see that 91 mile an hour pitch. I was like, was that a changeup? Like, what was that? It was three strikeouts. Right. Three, I'm sorry, yes. only three strikeouts yeah. and one walk. I mean, like yep. that's not Luis Castillo. Castillo, but
but nope. it's what they needed him to be last night. So I really appreciate that and appreciate some of his uh, some of his um, just unselfishness and team first attitude. Yep. And I liked Jerry's thought about how, hey, you know what? No matter what it is, he comes off there with a smile, and that consistency is just so valuable to a baseball well, team. And isn't it cool? Like when back in the day when you had Cliff Lee and Felix. Felix was the one that would emote and wear it all on the sleeve, right? Mm-hmm. And Cliff said famously, fake it till you make it. <laughs> you know, like he just did not show much emotion. And, you know, to have Luis is that joy guy and then have Kirby today, man, I am telling you, fire breather. It, just his level of intensity from the, the first days we've watched him to now, it's somewhat subtle. And, and unless you see it in person, it, it, he really is. He's got it. Just uh, we did have a uh, we did have a suggestion. We had a few suggestions for, for nickname. Yeah, and most of them were okay. Most of them were okay. Well, you know, we are the nickname show, right? We did the whole Legion of Boom. Wasn't one, that our one show? Of oh, them no, does, that was one of them does jump Bob out to me. Uh, I saw the Iceman and some stuff like that, and and you know those were fine. You know it's okay. I don't I don't know whether that's going been to there, like been there done that. Yeah, I just don't know if that's going to like take off. You know, take off or anything like that. Okay. What about Furious George? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. That comes from the five oh nine. Never texted this show one time before oh. from Spokane. What about Furious George? Are you going to write? I see Brock writing down a note right now. Brock's taking notes. He's thinking about Furious George. Somebody said Dirty George. Somebody else said Dr. K, the scientist, the cucumber, because he's cool as a cucumber. All those are fine. Can you imagine Furious George George corner the ball field? Can you imagine all the monkey Everyone in big yellow hats. Everyone's wearing the big yellow hats. Are you sure that wasn't our Justin? So he could put on his yellow stuff. I'm telling you, man, that oh is my Furious gosh. George. That is one of the best nickname texts oh. I think I've ever seen. That's I'll tell you what, good. we're going to come right back and give you a wonderful version of Ranked today. Mora mm-hmm. basically did it herself. Uh, mm-hmm. She did so much work on this. Just can't thank her enough. We'll come right back. Furious it's Brock George and Salk, Seattle Sports. Very- This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, Curious George for our, our new favorite, Furious George, who's on the mound today. As, uh, yes, the Mariners will wrap up this four-game series with the Royals. And what a perfect time and a perfect lead-in to Ranked. Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwarmfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on Brock and Saw. Yeah, top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. God, we'll try to go through this quickly today, Brock. But with this being game four, a four-game series against the Royals, I realized we'd never ranked fours. Not F-O-R, because that would honestly, you know, you can't even do that. That would just Mm. be too gargantuan of a category. But four, the number four. Really? Yeah. Fours ranked. Used to be a bar in Boston right outside the garden I would go to called the Fours. Great spot. Fantastic. You got the Beatles. They're the Fab Four. I didn't decide to put that one in there, but often they were called that. Maura, thank you for bringing up the uh, 
little desserts, which are called? Petite fours. Little petite fours. You ever had those, Brock? No. They're like uh, little mini cakes, right? Yeah. Is that a Northeast thing? No, I think it's like a British, French, British, like European thing. Yeah. Yeah, Petite Force. You yeah. know that, bro. No. Uh, we got movies like Four Christmases. We've got bands like The Four Seasons. Oh, what a night. Oh, what a night. Little Frankie Valley for you. Mm. Can't have The Four Seasons without also mentioning, of course, The Four Tops. Myself. Since you're doing bands with fours, you kind of have to get four non-blondes. And I say, I said, hey, that was good, Brock. You sound great there. Thank you, buddy. Uh, yeah. That song, when you hear that song, it's just stuck in your head the rest of the day. No, oh, yeah. That's why I let it roll for a little while. I thought yeah. people might need to hear that. <laughs> uh, other movies, Four Brothers, which is really good. Four Rooms, that Tarantino thing was actually pretty cool. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Shout out to my wife who loves Hugh Grant. Uh, the Fantastic Four, which is one of those superhero movies. I think I said Four Christmases. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got Four Non Blondes. My kids wanted me to make sure I would get Olivia Rodrigo. Now, I said no F.O.R., but since this one uses the number four, I thought I'd throw it in there. I like that song. Good for wow. you, Olivia Rodrigo. Uh, I didn't put in Fortunate Son. I thought that was maybe taking advantage of the situation. So uh, sorry, Brock. No Fortunate Son for you. But I will put in Chicago 25 or 624. Have I told you the best Arnold Palmer I've ever had? What was it? At the Four Seasons in Vegas. Ah, Lemonade. Lemonade with ice cubes of iced tea. Oh, that's such a great idea. I love when they do stuff like that. So it melts into it. So it just melts into it. They didn't throw anything else into that to make it a John Daly? No, uh -uh, no, no. Interesting. So you're sitting in Vegas drinking non-alcoholic drinks at the pool. But you know, you got a little party coming up here before school starts and you want an innovative... Wow. How can I do an Arnold Palmer in a fun way? I like that. Get your ice cubes of iced tea with lemonade. That's a good good, idea. Pretty good mix. I think that's a pretty good idea. All right, are you ready, Brock, for the top five fours? Number five from the album Four. Oh. Also played player. at the Piala Bear 44 times. <laughs> there you go. We'll hit to be square. I could see more as a Huey Lewis fan. Yeah, Maybe more as dad, mom. More of <laughs> Huey Lewis in the home growing up. My parents oh. were like Fleetwood Mac, oh. Bad Company, Cars. Oh, it's too bad. Okay. <laughs> you missed out. First concert I ever went to was Huey Lewis in the News. <laughs> you missed out. He's a little cheesy, but he's great. I love Huey. Yeah. Number four. Now, this is sort of a special honor, so it's almost like having a second number one. Right. Maura, I'm surprised this wasn't the first thing out of your mouth. What is the name of your dog? And so who is number four in four's ranks? Well, we've definitely put him in ranks before. Yeah. Bobby Orr. Number four, 
Bobby Orr, and he is the only player who will get the number four mention from me. Number four, Bobby, Bobby Orr. Orr. That's right. He's number four on our list. Number three, maybe a little bit more personal for me, but I'm going to go with Metallica. Just get your water moving, bro. Faster! Faster! <laughs> The Four Horsemen, Brock. Oh, it is. Yes. Metallica still doing that concert here in 2027? They are, yeah. We're nice. playing two nights, no repeats. Awesome. I'm rock you in your face. <laughs> Isn't that how the ad goes? Yes. Something like that? I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can order your tickets. If it's not in your face? You can order your tickets now for 2027, along with Moto Pizza. <laughs> you can get that pizza delivered in four years, If you order both too. now, they'll both yes. come at the same time. Yeah, that's yes. pretty good. All right, we've got right. another album named For Brock, but this one's F-O-U-R. And as you know, if Foreigner's in there, they're used to be near the top. Playing at Mile High, yeah, of course they are. I think they're partnering with like Ario Speedwagon. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah just that's, that's a good match. Place a match made in heaven <laughs> for sure. You got the Frozen Four, the Final Four. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, I, somebody said Tool Forty. I didn't do any Forties because they didn't do Forty Ounce to Freedom or any Forties. I mean, he had the Four Horsemen in Notre Dame back in the Forties and Fifties as okay. well. I, I do like know. the person who wrote in. I didn't think of this one, Matt Forte. That's a good one. Obviously, you like Matt Forte. Par fours, which yeah, you love. They're fine. Number one, though, Led Zeppelin four. Their best album, Rock and Roll, Black Dog, Battle of Evermore, Stairway to Heaven, Misty Mountain Hop. Battle All on Grand. this album? Yeah, it's such a wow. powerhouse. Wow. Going to California, I think, is also on that album. I think on the back side, I could be wrong about that. Well, that's going to do it for us today. we got to go and turn things over to the Mariners because it is 9.54. Yep. See you later. The hay is in. Barn, barn. See you, everybody. Get to the chopper!